Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? It went from one to three, so I put it on three. I don't even know what three does, but okay, I'll keep it on three. That's that's for sure. I like, Yikes, the mania. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I'm sorry about all that. That's not your fault. Apparently, I need to have it on three. I don't even know what one, two, and three mean. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Weird. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I've got an Iron Man. uh, What what is that exactly? (laughs) That's a heart monitor that my new um, cardiologist just wants me to wear for a week to to make sure everything's fine. Oh, is it called a halter? Yeah, it used to be a whole situation. Now they just give you this stick-on thing. (laughs) And And it's like sending messages yeah to, to my doctor oh, and and so you cool. press a button if you feel anything but i never i don't feel anything weird thank god so um you sleep with it on too and you can shower it's the technology is crazy so it used to be this whole halter like you'd have to wear like a like a shirt with a and now it's just yeah. a, a stick of iron man stick on so what a time what a what time, a time we live in. i love my new cardiologist love her she's so awesome it was the best appointment like i said i think i told you so it was like it's just she's so nice she was not shaming about anything she was like this is a lot of genetics and this is also and you're doing everything in your power right now to take care of your heart we're gonna follow you i think it was a one-off um, but because your father had heart issues, we're going to follow you and we're going to keep you on certain medicines for a little while. But she wasn't hysterical. So like when I went in there, my um, my blood pressure is always really high at the doctor's office. It's You get white coat fever. White coat hypertension. That's white coat hypertension. And so it was like really high. And and the nurse was like, oh, she'll, you know, and the people that, you know, I told you about how this is a concierge service and you have to pay $600 just to get in. Did I tell you? Oh, my God. It's very L.A. It is the worst. So, so. The thing about Los Angeles is it's crazy, but also, um, so my doctor in, in Chicago referred me to this doctor that he went to, he did his residency with Dr. Weinberg. So I call, and another doctor. So I call the first doctor at Cedar sinai because I figure Cedar sinai that's fancy. I'll go there. They have like a nine month waiting list unless you're having a heart oh. attack. And I was like, mm, no. Then I called Dr. Weinberg's office. They're like, yeah, she is taking new patients, but have you ever heard of, we're a concierge service. And I'm like, what a con what what are you talking about they're like it's a club so you pay you know about this you know about this from just yeah oh my gosh so and i i never heard of anything like this they're like you there's different levels so you could pay and i said what's the lowest level i could pay and still see dr weinberg who i love and they're like six hundred dollars a year a year so it's not like oh a year yeah it's not not every time it's not every time so for six hundred dollars a year you get in and you even just get an appointment with doctor with the doc one of the doctors at the pacific heart institute and so i was like fine fine i can't be waiting eight months fine well, yeah. let me tell you something. I, I mean, it's not always true. You pay for what you get, get for what you pay. But sometimes it is. Like, 
there was no waiting. There was no, there was no, everyone was so nice. There was like on time. She was, and she's just hysterical and funny and like, but yeah, this concierge thing, I had never heard about it in my life. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate because like what we need is universal health care. And it's ridiculous that we don't have it, but we don't have it. And so, yeah, so it's just like anything else. If you uh, have money, you can have great health care. <laughs> it's so crazy. And it's so gross. And so a lot of my friends that I've told have been like, that's disgusting. Da-da-da. And I'm like, listen, you guys, I'm kind of in a hard place here because I need my heart tested. And I also happen to have the $600. So like, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to stand on principle and not get my no. heart treated because, Absolutely. because our country is a, a race classes cesspool i still need yeah. my heart to work you know like and i was gonna say it's so important that you would find a cardiologist like this because they say that women the reason that women die so frequently from heart attacks that where there was no warning signs supposedly is because um women are less likely to go to the doctor with any type of pain and there's, and it's just always been so associated with men. Heart disease has been so associated with men. So the fact that she's making you feel good oh. and she's great at her job is amazing. I, I was like in love. She was like, can you come back every day? I said, I'm not paying $600 every time. I'll tell you that right now, Dr. Weinberg. But she laughed and she said, I know it's a weird thing. She's from the East Coast. You know, she did her resident. She did. They did their residency in Philly. So she's not an, uh, a Southern California gal. And I, I just, I felt so like, she was like, you're not going to freak out whenever your blood pressure is high. She's like, blood pressure means at that moment in your arm, your pressure in your arm is high. Now, if we right. see X, Y, and I know she just explained things. And then she took my blood pressure in each arm and it was normal again. So I was like, yeah. So it, it's just the, his, the, the hysteria, the, um, that, or like the fear, the fear, the straight up fear of like, oh my God, something's wrong. And I'm going to, I'm going to be in trouble for the thing being wrong. Like it's my fault yeah, was, right. was totally taken out. And also nobody there's scared of heart things because that's all they do all day. So they're not right. like, they're not like a GP that just doesn't know. And is like, Oh my God, your blood pressure is 160 over. You're going to have a stroke right in my office. She's like, ah, <laughs> I was mad. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. So that's, so I feel really, that feels really good. It, it, it feels really weird to be in Southern California. I'll tell you that. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sort of like, where do I live? But I live here. I keep telling myself, you live here. You live here. Yes. This is your home. Right. And yep. and I started putting up art, more art. And um, I just feel, I feel better. So I'm, I'm doing all right. I just feel a little like, okay, I got to establish my life here again. When you were driving there, did it feel like, did it feel like you were moving there all over again? Yeah, it did. And it also felt like what are we going to find there? Will people remember us? But everyone in my apartment, I love my apartment complex. It's hilarious and it's real weird. And everyone is really, I mean, it's nice. It's fine. But everyone is real odd, which I love. Like everyone is a character. There's, you know, six uh, in, in a 93, there's 93 units and like there's seven French bulldogs, which I find hysterical. I know. And I want to get one. I know. Yes. We're, we're, we're thinking of getting one named Doris, a, a girl. But <laughs> Doris the bulldog. I, love that. I know. Oh, that would be so cute. So anyway, I love being here. It's just getting reestablished of like, oh right, this is right. Okay. Oh yes. 
And also you had a major life event happen while you were away. So that's the other thing. It's like you haven't ever been in LA with whatever it is that you're dealing with now. And you have to get used to whatever that means in your new context. But I did, I lost, I've lost 13 pounds since I've been in the hospital. So that's That's amazing. Good for you. Yeah. And I'm doing it solely for the, for my heart. Like I don't, I mean, I'm doing it solely for health reasons, which is, I mean, look, I'd be, it would be great to, to feel a little better self-esteem wise, but literally I'm like, okay, well, what can I do to make my organs feel better? Because that's why Mm -hmm. I'm here so Mm -hmm. that I can live past. 65 and 67 which is when my parents died so um all right yeah I want I don't want that how old was your dad 57 oh my god that is so young so young so so young Miles is 54 oh wow yeah I mean yeah well and Miles has a much healthier lifestyle than Dennis Pelici ever did but uh oh well I'm glad I'm glad that everything is okay now let's um talk about your blog it was it's so good it's so um well written and I mean obviously you're a good writer but I mean it's really well written and it is so touching a, a chord with people how does it feel Thank you for saying that. It feels great. And I was having this conversation with Aaron last night. I said, I'm I'm understanding something more deeply now about being a writer. And basically what it is, is that um, every word you write has to be true. If you're, if, especially if it's a personal sort of story, every single word has to to be true and then also like ring true as you're as you're reading it as you're writing it and um if you're gonna write everybody writes personally these days so everything is about people's take on things um and so the world is saturated with takes on things um which doesn't mean that one shouldn't write personally it just means if you're gonna do that and basically say, I have something to say here. You just have to be digging deep to figure out what the truth of something is for you. And I feel like 65% of the stuff that I read that's personal has at least some percentage of it that's just a regurgitation of another take I've heard before. And I know what that's like too, because if you're writing and and you, you start to find yourself like using turns of phrase or something like that, that you just know you've read someplace else. I understand why you would do that because you'd say, well, it worked there. So, but it doesn't. You just have to keep figuring, you have to keep winnowing down to figure out the thing that's unique to you. And you can't do that if you don't accept yourself. Uh, or know you and know yourself, right? And that just comes back to like the theater school and 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 co- our college experience of like, how could we have been good actors? I mean, I'm speaking for myself. I how could I have been a good actor? I didn't know anything. I wasn't digging deep because I I was too, I wasn't I didn't feel safe enough to dig deep. I was 18 years old, and so now we can really dig deep. So I think that that's that's a testament to that. You're really digging deep. I'm digging deep, and you know I probably. Said on the podcast before but one of my favorite kind of quotes about art and I don't even know if it's true but it's always attributed to Michelangelo and they asked Michelangelo how did you how do you sculpt David and he said you just 
take away the parts that aren't David. I think writing is just taking away the, uh, by the way, I'm not comparing myself to Michelangelo. <laughs> I just like, it's like I an inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> it's an inspiration. Uh, you, you have a, on any given subject, you have a million ideas. You just have to cut away all of the ideas that aren't particularly true or necessary or relevant or salient and, and just get, get to the heart of the matter and writing is rewriting. And I've, I told you, I started that in a completely different way. And, and I had to, I mean, I, I really did spend like quite a few hours on it because I just kept being going back and being like, but that's not exactly how, what I mean by that. And anyway, so it was great. The great experience was great. I feel I'm getting stronger as a writer and I feel, I love books of essays like Roxane Gay is one of my favorite yeah. writers. And I think um, one of these days I'll have enough essays that that, will, that can be my book. So. Well, you could also, I mean, what I thought when I read your blog was that you could also just start submitting your, your essays to places. So to, to, to magazines and anthologies of, of, of essays. Oh, I mean, okay. in the meantime, because that's what a lot of people do. Like, you know, like um, I went to high school and and I'm sort of friendly with Samantha Irby, who does the same thing. Oh, and she, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she, um, she like submits to the New York Times. I mean, you know, she had this blog that did really well, Bitches Gotta Eat, and it's still doing really well. And that's how that was her foray into a book of essays. But all I'm saying is I'm like at the point where I'm like, don't wait, start submitting the essays. Okay. All right. And I didn't, that would never have occurred to me. Okay. I'll all kinds of magazines. Any magazine. Hey, let me run this by you. How, hmm, when you hear people talking about philosophy or when you were in college or grad school and people were studying philosophy, just generally speaking, how does the concept of studying philosophy um, I don't know. I, what comes up for me is I don't know what philosophy is. Like, is it? Are we talking Aristotle and all that crap? Or, or and, yeah. Okay, it strikes. I mean, he's one of them. Yeah. Okay, so it strikes me as uh, I think it, at DePaul I took philosophy, and I'm pretty sure I failed or got a D, and I had to switch classes. Um, it, it strikes me as something that um I would want to do if I was trapped in prison. I might want to study philosophy. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not nat naturally drawn to that, but I know there are a lot of people that are, but I don't, um, I feel like it's crazy making a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I don't care for philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why. I don't, I don't care about it and I don't care for, for it. it. Okay. Now, I will preface this by saying it's probably because like you, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't, I vaguely, when people start talking philosophically, I just go like, <laughs> like in my mind, it's going beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. <laughs> um, but I, but people love it. People love it. And people love to talk about it. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, this is on Clubhouse. I hear a lot of philosophical conversations and I kind of think 
you are interested in that if you're not interested in talking about psychology. Mm, I thought that's where you might be going. I uh, I really think that if you don't, yes, I agree. If you don't like talking about feelings, you're going to go to philosophy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I feel like when people start, and I always, tr or maybe I will stop trying now, but in the past, I've always tried to like, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And then I just feel like I'm a balloon floating <laughs> into the sky. Like, I am not with you. I am not with anything. What is up? What is down? And I guess that's what people, I think pe people like that feeling. Oh that, my I think God. That might, right? Whereas I want the opposite. I want to feel like tethered to the ground. Right. I don't want to feel like I'm up in the air at all. Right. And so, but interestingly, hmm. I think when people are really savvy and they know a lot about philosophy, everybody thinks of them as a genius. Uh huh. But when you're really savvy about feelings or you know a lot about feelings, I mean, certain people think that, oh, that's good and that's important. But I feel like there's a lot of people who are, who are like, know, who like, cares? Like, who cares? The guy in your truck, like, fuck your feelings, yeah. right? Like, fuck your you feelings, know, fuck your safe space, fuck your feelings. There is no safe space or something. Sh oh, right. take your safe space and shove it up your ass. That's what it was. Oh, okay. I thought, uh, right. Uh, but I, I thought it, it was, thought... it was fuck your feeling. It was both. Oh no. It, it was, was both. both. Okay. He had yeah. a sign, a homemade sign. It wasn't even just a bumper sticker. It said, fuck your feelings and take your safe space and shove it up your ass was the entire. So anyway, so here's the thing. I feel like people who like, why would you have a bone to pick with feelings? People who say, fuck your feelings are people who somebody said fuck your feelings to. Mm. And in the same way that I'm I'm not scared by philosophy, I'm just like not interested. I feel like maybe people who love philosophy are sort of they got there because it wasn't as cool or good or important or safe. Um Sure. You know, right? Sure. It, yeah. Is talking about you, you can't talk about your feelings, so you talk about your thoughts. Right. So one is the brain and one is the heart, but it's not true. The feelings are all about the brain too, but like that's how they get yeah. lumped together. Right. And then it gets even further to feelings than are women and, and thoughts are men. And it gets even more fucked up because then it gets delineated the, the you know women and the feelings yes. and men and the thoughts and i think you're right i think it comes from people are really scared of feelings feelings are dangerous and they can lead to trouble and if you just talk about your thoughts all the time uh, that's oh as a therapist if you talk about your thoughts all the time you're safe you know quote safe when i was a therapist it drive it would drive me crazy when people would intellectualize every single thing and come in and want to talk about their thoughts all the time and I, I just kept thinking this is such a bypass to what's really going on right absolutely absolutely and I have this fantasy of going into one of these clubhouse rooms where they're talking about philosophy and just being like this is doesn't matter right how do you feel right now how do you feel about or not that it doesn't matter but like I'm interested to know about how talking about philosophy makes you feel yes Right. It mu it, there is there must be something that is so it could it could be satisfying, but it could also be it, maybe maybe it is. And this is here me asking a philosophical question. Maybe it is somehow 
emotionally healing for people to talk about philosophy. Maybe it's a way, maybe if we really paid attention to it and we, and, and we felt like we could understand what was happening in these conversations, maybe we would find direct correlation mm. between certain ideas that are, that are discussed in philosophy we'd be like, Oh yeah, that's just, Oh, that's whatever. just, yeah. That's just person centered, whatever. Yeah. Yes. Or like mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. modality that probably, and also I think that people are just scared, 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 scared. Yeah, for sure. For I, I sure. just, it comes down to these like base feelings. I'm scared. So I'm, the other thing is I, to be, to be honest, I, I don't know the difference. What the hell is the difference? And this is, people are going to be like, oh my God, turn this podcast off. <laughs> What's the difference between really philosophy and sociology? Sociology is the study. Miles has studied sociology at Northwestern. I don't know what that is. The study of people. I, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Well, I don't know either, but I'm just going <laughs> to give my uninformed opinion that I think I think sociology is more the study of societies okay. and like how what happens how how what happens in society determines you know other things. But that sounds good um, to me. That sounds good, like a good <laughs> a good definition. I also <clears throat> I also feel about the study of philosophy. I, I listen. I'm uh, people who do it. I'm sure they're really smart and I, I'm sure it's great for what it is but I'm like what what's the point of this what do, what do we do what are we doing here like I it's pontificating it's pontificating it's pontificating and right? I just I find that so boring well I also feel like in a day and age where the pontificating it, the time for that is probably over look at looking at our world I mean we need philosophers right we need them because they they're the basis of a lot of things I'm sure whatever I don't know but <laughs> but they're important I'm I, you know all philosophers yeah. matter and I <laughs> I'm such an asshole, but I'm just trying to say, I'm just trying to say that I, I don't know what they do and I'm sure it's important. But what I feel is going back to feelings is that in this day and age where our world is on fire in so many ways, we could sit around while the world is on fire and, and pontificate about how it got there. Or we could try to pick up a bucket like Paul Holmquist is doing, you know, and like put out the fire, help put out. Yes, he's, he was ma'am. a guest we had on a podcast who became a public school teacher, but and from an actor, but like, so like, we could try to put out the fires in whatever way. I'm not saying everyone has to pick up an actual bucket and fucking put out a fire. I'm just saying maybe do something that could contribute to, to making the world a better place rather than pontificating about it. But they probably would say we are doing something. I don't know. Whatever. They would probably say we're doing something. So, so this came up for me yesterday through on clubhouse that I love. That's the whole premise of it is that there's, um, oldies, old music playing in the background. My people are just shooting the shit, basically. And they started talking yesterday about, I guess, one of the, you know, about NFTs. Right? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things about NFTs often is like, people are saying it's what it's what is it? It's not how is that art? And you can take a pre existing piece of art and like for example, Banksy yes. burned that picture, and now it's worth more. So art is in the eye of the beholder. And somebody was saying, like, well, you could literally take an image of the Mona Lisa and chop it up in certain ways and put it back together, and then say, "This is my piece of art," which 
I guess Andy Warhol did that, not with the Mona Lisa necessarily, but like he, you know, he he really explored that idea of like what is art and it's all in the eye of the beholder. But the conversation they were having yesterday is who deserves and they weren't saying legally. This one guy kept saying, I'm not talking about legal, I just mean like philosophically, who who deserves to be credited or paid or whatever. Mm. And and all and they talked about it for like an hour. And the whole time I was like, who who cares? Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about a piece of art that I made, then I have an opinion about whether or not I want you to use it. If if you're talking about whether or not I'm going to get sued from using another person's piece of art, then I care about that. But why do I care about it in some theoretical sense? I just don't know what the application. Yes. I'm sure there is yes. a beautiful application. I just don't know what it is. Well, maybe, yeah. And I, I would feel the same way. And maybe at the core, these people are really... They, they, what they really maybe, and now here I am pontificating, but maybe what they really want to say is, I want to be an artist. I, I want to create art, but I don't have any good ideas. So I, what happens if I just take the Mona Lisa and I chop it? So they, they don't personalize. Like they, maybe they want to personalize, yes. but they can't do it. So they talk in these really grandiose terms. Um, and yeah. it reminds me of, it just, I keep going back to this image of my mother, actually. So, one day we're at a restaurant and she, it was right after my dad died and she, and she looked really sad. And I, I said, you look really sad. And she slammed her glass down on the table, almost breaking it and said, I am not sad. I'm angry. And, 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 but she was like really sad and angry. Like she couldn't be both. Right. And then she stormed out of the restaurant. So all this to say, like what she really, she couldn't, a lot of us cannot just say what's actually going on. So like, I'm pissed off. I'm in this room, this clubhouse room, right? Like I'm imagining myself listening to this and saying you know I want to be an artist (laughs) just blurting out in the clubhouse room we're talking about this philosophically but wait I want to be an artist I want to be paid for my work that's what's really going on here that's what I'm the heart of the matter I think you and I want to get to the heart of the matter and I think people want to stay around the atmosphere of the matter right? right and and so at the beginning of the conversation I just said, since he was asking, like, what's everybody's opinion? I just said, oh, I just think the money should go to the artist, like the original artist. I don't, um, unless it's in the public domain, you know, something that's over 100 years old. Um, I think you're right. I think if I was in charge of that conversation or whatever, I might, I might say, the only reason we're talking about this is because we're all trying to figure out whether we, as the artists, you know, can be valued, deserve something, deserve credit. Like to me, that would have been a fascinating discussion. Right. But that's why you and I, you know, we're different. And that's why we have this podcast is kind of because we're saying, wait, let's get to the heart of what the hell happened here or what is happening here. What is going on here? What, what taking a hard look at, 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 um, at what happened in a psych- with a psychological lens because mm-hmm. that's a way to eventually maybe heal or at least move through and then move on and then be able to live your life and make art and get paid for it and have a good life and all that. Right. But yeah. like a lot of people don't give a shit about that. A lot of people don't give a shit about that. And since you brought up Paul Holmquist, that's the other thing I've been meditating on this week is I mean, that really touched me, me when too. he said that he was experiencing actual healing. And that is also something that um, Rob has said. And we've heard it a few times now. We've heard people say, wow, I am 
just the process of listening to people talk about their experiences and and putting that in the context of my own experiences is making me let go of certain things or find grace for myself or other people about certain things. And I think in some cases just deal with certain things that people have pushed to the side. And you have been saying, I wanted to give you this credit. You have been saying from the beginning, we are giving a service. We are doing a service. And when you would say that, I think, okay, I guess to me, it just feels like we're doing something that we like and and feels fun, but you're totally right. People are receiving it. Not everybody, but some people are receiving it as a tr- truly like a gift. Yeah, it's it, it, it's and I think that is that is where we're picking up the bucket and putting out the fire, right? Like that is yes. our version of that and 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 it, we are like giving and not you know whatever. It is what it is. I'm not trying to say that we're like the world's greatest firemen, but what I'm saying is that at least we're we're creating something that also has the potential and people have been saying it is like your blog and like other things. This is healing for me. Great awesome that way it's it's actually having an effect in the real world putting out a fire you know or helping people move through a fire so yay amen and let the record reflect that if anybody wants to use this content for their own purposes in their art it must the the dividends must stay with the original creators (laughs) as my client as my client used to say oh my god i walked up with this client once and he had this huge tattoo on his neck and um, I said, hey, you know, Jesse, what's your tattoo say? And he said, it says, fuck you, pay me. I said, okay, great. Good to know. So in, in the words of Jesse, fuck you, pay fuck me. Fuck you, pay me. <laughs> I love it. Um, so we have- podcast we talked to jimmy mcdermott jimmy mcdermott is an awesome human being he's a director he was an actor he's a consummate artist he's thoughtful he's engaging he's so down to earth and humble and someone that we just really um, enjoyed talking to about life about about what it's like to go through hard things about what gets you through hard things and um it was just a delightful conversation. So please enjoy our conversation with Jimmy McDermott. A, a podcast interview was actually called, it was actually be- before the term existed. So I, the only other time I've done something like this was an internet radio show. So. Okay. All right. So you're, yeah. you're a pro. Congratulations, Jimmy, you survived theater school and in my mind, you did it with quite a great sense of humor. That's my lasting impression of you is how funny you are. Oh, well, well, that, that's, 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 <laughs> I'll take that. That's nice to hear. Yeah. Did you, now you graduated with a, a emphasis on directing, but that's not how you started, right? That's correct. Yeah. I, I did my first year as an actor in the MFA program. Okay. That, oh, that MFA. Okay. So MFA. You, got, you got your BFA elsewhere. I did, your, yeah. Your yeah. undergraduate degree elsewhere. What was that? Yeah, yeah. I went uh, Florida Atlantic University, and it was a it was a BFA in acting slash directing. You got the directing credit, whether you directed anything there or not. I directed a few things there, but actually, my my directing experience was uh, 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 
I worked for a children's theater company where I grew up, and I probably had directed maybe six or seven productions by the time I moved to Chicago through them. And then a couple of things, a couple of one acts uh, through my undergrad. But that was so, uh, you know, I had some experience directing and I was very interested in directing. But uh, when I was about but the criteria DePaul included for the directing programs that I was looking at in my final year of uh, undergrad, uh, they all seemed to require a product you know at least three productions where all artists were paid that was kind of like a a a running theme in it and i learned quickly after that that that's totally a deterrent do you know what i mean like Uh, yeah because if if i had directed three productions where all artists were paid i'd be well into a career do you know what i mean and it took me you know nearly five years after directing uh, after receiving a directing degree from the theater school to get in that in, in that position, right. you know what I mean? So it was uh, so those those things are it's a it's a bunch of made up stuff. But ha- what <laughs> so how what when you thought you were going there to the theater school for the acting MFA? Um, I'm, I'm just curious about because we we rec- to the per- the a podcast that's airing today has a person who who got two acting degrees. And I never really got a chance to like get to the bottom of why two acting degrees. You already knew how to act. Why did you have to go do it at the graduate level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's an excellent question. And uh, I knew, I mean, I somehow knew, or at least I romanticized through like professors I had that, that, you know, even if I did get, and I wanted to be a director. That's let's just put that out there. There weren't any illusions about that. But I thought, like I, I, as I said before, I was clearly didn't meet whatever criteria it was for a directing program. So either I just head out and try to do that on my own. But I really thought the way into it was going to be through acting, and then and you know Joe Montanello's uh, career was really big at the time. He is somebody who had transferred like from being a, a really big actor on Broadway into a really formidable directing career. So like that path seemed like the most natural thing to me. And I always thought, you know, the kind of circuit of writer, director, actor, like that identity was really attractive to me. And I always thought that that was, uh, 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 you, you, you know, I, I I wanted to live like the, you know, a life of letters in sort of that respect, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And um, so that was, uh, so that was all very interesting. And I, and, and I, and, uh, and I also knew kind of in the back of my mind that I would never be able to cobble together probably an entire, if I devoted myself to theater, and I was also very interested in film, I just had a very stupid way of going about that. And, and, you know, that bore no fruit, clearly, because I was doing it very, very, uh, you know, in a very ill-informed way, but the, uh, uh, the, but uh, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm stammering, but the, uh, the, uh, so I, I, I knew that I was going to have to teach as a, as, as a component of that. And so, and the life of a professor was just very cool to me because, you know, they got to do what they wanted most of the time. And, and, you know, the workload seemed like it was, you know, everything has its administrative bullshit quotient, but it's a, but that seemed to be, you know, negligible in, 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 in that respect. Uh, so getting a terminal degree and, 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 and being able to have like a teaching credit, even if I knew that I wasn't going to be able to cash in on that until, until much later, uh, uh, 
it seemed like that that was a, a wise course of action. And uh, and I will say, in trying to get another acting degree, it, I really did kind of boil it down to a couple of schools. It was like Carnegie Mellon, which I didn't have particular interest in. Uh, ART, which I didn't really, Boston wasn't a draw, a draw for me. Uh, Yale, which was number one uh, for me. And then, uh, and the theater school uh, uh, in Chicago, because uh, I was born in Chicago and I had extended family. There was a support system there. I liked the city already. I knew that, you know, I, I, it, it, it was in my bones. It was, you know, um, <clears throat> so that was attractive. And then, so the final year, of my undergrad comes along and it was a densely packed year. I was really trying to finish, you know, I was really concentrated on that. And I knew I wanted to, 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 uh, to kind of groom myself for a Yale audition. And I was like, I don't know that I'm going to make that happen this spring. You know what I mean? But DePaul was coming to Miami. I, I grew up in South Florida. Um, and I went to undergrad there. Um, DePaul was coming to Miami and I thought, okay, I'll go through the process because I don't want to, audition for Yale, not having done the ah. graduate audition process yet, you know? And so I said, I'll, I'll do that this year, see how it goes, and then try to save up money to, and, and really, really concentrate on making that happen next year. So I went to the audition for the, the, the theater school and, um, and, uh, I did get in and it was, uh, and then, you know, was faced with the prospect of, okay, do I live in South Florida, which I, I, I really, really did not enjoy being there. Um, do I live here for another year for the prospect of auditioning for Yale and then not get in <laughs> or, you know, uh, so that, that, uh, that I didn't really savor that idea. So I decided I'll go check out the theater school and then, you know, uh, see if I like it and then, and, and, you know, uh, make this decision. And I, and I went, and I visited it and I fell much more in love with Chicago than I did necessarily the theater school, even though that I didn't really have any complaints about it, other than the fact that when you walked into the building, it was this converted elementary school that was sort of disappointing because coming from my undergrad, we were a really pretty well-equipped facility, you know, but the, like the idea of that a city sort of grafting something inside of an existing older structure was charming in its way. I was also like, boy, this is a, <laughs> You know, like what's the, where's the lighting package in any of these rooms? I mean, oh, what the hell? No you know, lighting package. Right. And yes, I mean, you know, obviously a different facility oh, now, yeah. and, and a much, much more, you know, <laughs> much more competent sort of draw. But um, uh, so I was, so I, I, I left from that visit thinking, like, well, I really, really want to move to Chicago. Never thinking to my mind that we'll just move to Chicago for God's sakes. Do you know? And and you know, and, and don't incur all of this debt. And, uh, but I did it because I'd been a lifelong student up at that point. I didn't have a gap year anywhere, you know what I mean? And it, so just conditioned under the auspices of like, I I need to go in the guise of something, you know what I mean? I, I, I really felt like I didn't have any safety net or any purpose or any driver, anything to report to unless I was in, involved in a curriculum of some sort. And that was just because I'd known nothing else since How I was four years old. How old were you when you when so, you went to came to DePaul? I would have been twenty one. Okay, so you yeah. were still super, so I was right. I mean, super young. Yeah, yeah. But you you must have <clears throat> excuse me just had a baby face because we both thought you were our same age. Yeah, I was like for well, sure he's I mean, seventeen. <laughs> but I was I was I I mean I I was a year older than 
Oh, you okay. probably, Gina, because okay. your last year was my first year, and uh, and Boz, you would have been Wait. you you oh. were not there my first year. Oh, you came, right. you had come back. Right. So, Oz, you you're probably my contemporary. Exactly. I'm 45. Right? I'm old. Maybe. Yeah, she oh, okay. she no, and I she and I started in the same year, and then she. But the thing is, I I didn't know any of this about your acting. You never talked about so like, you must be a fucking good actor. <laughs> How did I not know this? <laughs> well, I you didn't know it because I'm not. So <laughs> I got I got cut from the acting program. Well, that doesn't so it mean was, shit. Uh, but uh, okay. Know. No, I mean, it, 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 yeah, I mean, it's it was, uh, and and it wasn't a huge surprise that I got cut from the acting program because I just I was not jibing with the acting training there at all. You know, it was it was it was really, uh, you know, I mean, not not because it was just. I, I couldn't give over to it. I could not give over to laying on the mat. I, it, it, it was, there was, and, and this was, you, you know, I mean, everybody there was trying to make their living and I, and I don't deny, you know, I don't begrudge them that, but it, you know, there was a, there was a real kind of like whiff of charlatanism coming from some of the, some ends of the faculty that I was just like, I can't believe you have a dental plan. You know what I mean? And it was like the, the, so uh, and and I won't name names because those people were heroes to others. Do you know what I mean? And and that's completely legit in their experience, of course. But there were just you know pockets of it that I was just like, I don't, I, you know, I, I I I know I'm not really pulling much from this. Do you know what I mean? And it's not like I'm. The, it wasn't a situation where like maybe I'll use this down the line. Well, like it, it really was just like I I I really feel I'm being, you know, taken okay, through. Okay, so. You know, something, somebody's magic words. Right, Do you right. know what I mean? I, I feel like I, I one, man's, like one man's Jesus is another man or woman's charlatan. So that's to be said. Absolutely. And also, also yeah. Gina has a bit of this sort of, um, well, I'm going to presume. Like, there's this thing about not joining, right? Were you just like, fuck you, I'm not going to join because everyone's joining? That's that is my I, I would say that that's 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 my most prevailing symptom throughout life. Yes, I cannot, cannot, cannot use anyone else's hashtag. I cannot, you know, wear anybody else's T-shirt. I, I just won't do it. I'm biologically averse to it. There's something in me that was that really needs to create distance when I see three people wearing the same jersey i'm like get me the fuck out of here it's like, I, okay I so let's try to unpack that a little bit more sure. did you you remember that since like your earliest memories in in, in elementary school you were feeling mm -hmm. like there was a, a crowd that you didn't want to be a part of uh well i mean i think it was mutual for sure you know <laughs> uh yeah I, I mean i never i never really uh, uh yeah yeah i mean you know it, it, i started kindergarten when i was four and it was just too young you know what i mean like so i, I with you know speaking of contemporaries like i never felt like i i always felt like everybody else knew something else that i didn't you know what i mean so i always had to try to create my own reality or my own thing or my own little lane of, of whatever it was, because I just, I felt like I didn't get it. You know what I mean? If, it, and, and if I did get it, I didn't want it. It was, mm -hmm. it, it just, mm -hmm. yeah. So I, there's a lot of sour grapes attached to that too, of course, but it's, but yeah, that, that fortified really early. And did you, when did you first want to pursue acting? Uh, 
I mean, you know, I, I think anything I ever wanted to be before I decided that I wanted to be an artist or a storyteller or, 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 or you know, take, you know, cut that path at all is was um, it was just like I, I would always identify like the job that I wanted through a television uh, show or a movie. Do you know what I mean? I it was the conduit was always the the actor somehow. You know what I mean? It was just like. I love what they're doing. I want to be that. I want to be, you know, for a my, I remember actively like in, in second or third grade thinking like I wanted to be in the CIA because that was the American version of what James Bond did. Do you right. know what I mean? It was gotcha. just like when I really wanted to be Roger Moore, it was, right. you know, it mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't the, the job. It was the sequence of events he gets to go through. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So at some point I was just like, okay, now what? Yeah. I like, playing these things and and you know and I would I was a type of kid that like I'd go out in my backyard and I would walk around and create movies in my head and sort of act them out in this like my neighbors thought I was touched you know and and my dad used to like I had this in our in our backyard I had this pattern that I walked where I wore out in the grass and my dad was like beside himself. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with this kid? You know, he's out there flailing his arms and sort of, you know, creating this path in the, in, in the, in the grass. <laughs> and the neighbors think we're just, what, what are we doing with it? He should be institutionalized. You know? <laughs> that's awesome. So, I love that. Uh, but that's, funny, when I think about know. it, that's to me what like directors do. I, I know a lot of directors I've worked with, they're like pacing and seeing and moving things and doing yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. <laughs> I mean, it is. Yeah, I was, I was, you Directing. know, honing skill, I suppose, you know. But it was, you know, the, 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 the just, you know, uh, like my, my, my muscles and my mind always took me to like, okay, uh, pretend this inflate this blow this up you know what i mean what create a world out of this somehow that was always just fairly instinctive uh so that it was yeah yeah that that was so an idea of like what can i do that just invites the most sense of play would be the and i wasn't good and then when i finally started doing theater like probably in middle school to a certain extent it was the only thing I was ever any good at at all. So it was, it really felt like this is the only thing I can pursue because like, I, you know, I, I, was, a, I was a little bit above that average student, but I was, you know, not, not, not uh, sort of lazy, but I was like, I know uh, prowess in sports or anything like that. And, and, you know, and I didn't think of myself as particularly smart. So I was just like, you know, I, I want to, you know, this feels good. This is fun. I seem to have some kind of knack for it, or at least I have a mimicry property that I've seen somewhere else that I can apply in what I'm doing and get by with that. And that was still fun to me. I didn't feel like I was cheating. I felt like I was drawing on the things that I loved, you know? So, um, so that was, so yeah, I really fell in love with just the idea of performing and uh and I always considered acting as just a, a, a as as being a piece of that storytelling. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't taking place in a vacuum for me. It was I loved the idea of w- what it takes to 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 bring an audience through a narrative and um and uh and how you contribute to that as you know and, and when you're doing children's theater too you're like not 
you're typically like playing like five roles throughout a, a thing too. So you don't get precious about one particular character or anything like that. You're, you're, or the process of like really building that character from the ground up is, is, you know, that's just going to get in the way of what you have to, the, the, the task, you know what I mean? So you, you just have as much fun, you make as much delineation between those things as you can. And, 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 and you, you, you know, and at the end of the day, the kids see a story, you know what I mean? And, 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 or, you know, you, you go in and you try to do your, the clown routine that's going to get the loudest laugh out. You're of like you, you know? the, it was um, a very simple, you're like simple transaction. The epitome of an ensemble member to me in a, in a real well, way, but like, like you, you're the only, one of the only actors that we've talked to that, that, and I, I know maybe you had dreams, but most people and myself included were like, I'm just going to be a famous actor. Cause that's the, what, what we're going to, well, yeah, you want I, that want, too? I mean, I wanted that oh, okay. too. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Because that, you know, what, once you start doing that and then you realize like, okay, what, you, you know, and, and the dream for me really always was, and, and to a certain extent, yeah, the ensemble is an attractive notion of that, but there's also like this, this, this great kind of scenery chewing, uh, you know, seizing of a moment too, is that I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. Like that was like, ah. you know, that was, so part of when I was looking at, at, at coming to Chicago is that I went to Second City uh, during that visit. And that was just after Adam McKay had wrote the uh, Pinata Full of Bees, which was like a really, really kind of seminal uh, golden era for, for, for Second City. Um, he was not in the cast anymore, but like Tina Fey had taken over his role. So I, I went there and I saw that production. And then when I moved to Chicago, I started working as a busboy there. So I really, because I wanted, I wanted the proximity to that. But at the same time, I felt like I need to study something in an institution because that, the idea of that degree was still kind of hanging over me because, there was a certain longevity in, in, in that pursuit, but I, what I want, what I wanted more than anything to be was like when I was washing dishes back backstage, you know, to have somebody come on and say like, "Scott Edson's stuck in traffic. You need to get on stage." You know what I mean? It's like, I know the whole show, you know, and I did. I really did. I had that fantasy of just like I could step into any single one of these roles right now and they're going to come into the kitchen and they're going to need me, you know, and Lauren Michaels will be in the audience that night. And that will that will be my thing. Did you ever get to I mean, I'm guessing that nobody ever came and got you from your dishwashing and brought you on. stage. They, they didn't. They didn't. Strangely, there was a very deep bench of hungry performers who had been improvising for decades. Uh, that were, in were line uh, inexplicably that. more qualified than you. But did you um, have a chance to hang out socially with any of the performers? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, a little bit. I mean, like, I wouldn't say that I that I that I was, you, you know, particularly friends with them, but it was. Uh, uh, but yeah, I got, you know, I, 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 I yeah. I mean, you know, you'd say hello. You'd, you'd say, you'd ask them how the show was going. You'd say like this thing that you're improvising towards a sketch tonight was really strong tonight. I, I hope that makes it into the next review. You know, I loved talking to them about what they were doing and they liked to talk about it too, because they were in the middle of writing something, you know what I mean? Or, or, or kind of adapting something, crafting something from the improv sets to, 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 to make it into the next thing. And, you know, um, I mean, it's some of the people who are not like really famous, who were kind of the nicest to, to me, or like would, would talk to me the most frequently. Uh, I mean, it, it was, uh, the, the funniest person in the world that I ever, ever saw on stage, there was a uh, Brian stack and he's a head writer for Colbert mm -hmm, now, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, he was, 
yeah, he he made it a point to make sure that he was on a first name basis with everybody on the staff, no matter what you do. He'd check in with you, but not in a way where, uh, but in a completely, totally genuine way. It was not perfunctory. wasn't necessarily even small talk. He would just ask you an interesting question about your life, or like Horatio Sands, like uh, would would come back and he he noticed that I was like sad one day, and he's like, "You got lady problems?" Oh. I was like, yeah, I actually do <laughs> right now. So you're really really good to pick up on that. That's so cute. Uh, so getting back to this yeah. thing about. Uh, not wanting to buy what they were trying to sell you in terms of uh, how did you say you said like there were certain phrases that the teachers were saying at the theater school that you weren't. I think it's a magic words. I mean, okay. I, I, I really think that 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 uh, conservatory training, it really is about like, what are the buzzwords of that five year pocket? You know what yeah. I mean? Because I've I've noticed that I worked because I did get to work at the theater school as like a guest artist directing like workshops and studio things in subsequent years. And I would realize that, that, you know, and, and I had one very good experience and one, one experience, which was unfortunate. And it was, and, and I have to take uh, responsibility for it because I was, I was not the adult in the room I needed to be the entire time. Um, Nothing untoward happened or anything like that, but I was, you know, I mean, blurring the lines because these people feel like, even though you're you have 15 years between you or something like that, it's easy to get back into an environment like that and feel like these people are your contemporaries, and and just learning that you absolutely have to create this, this this brick wall there, uh, on on so many <laughs> in so many aspects of that relationship is. Uh, is important. And that was hurt. And, you know, it, it hurt to learn that. And it was, you know, it cost me an opportunity because the, it, it, it just didn't go well. And, and it was weird because I couldn't, um, it was, I, I was reading the room very poorly. I didn't have any idea that that was necessarily going on, but it was very clear that when they left the room, I was the topic of conversation oh, and it was, uh, you know, and it wasn't good. Um, so, uh, they were, so, uh, you know, that, that was, that was a bit of a rude Whoa. awakening and, and, and it was so, but I, a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was just not using the same vocabulary as the instructors they currently had. I, my approach wasn't, you know, uh, it, it, it just, it wasn't concentrating on whatever the kind of de jour technique that was taking right. place there. And I think it had mostly to do with language because there was a complaint. The most misrepresented complaint in the uh, uh, in the evaluations was that I wasn't ever talking about character or intention. I was like, that's bullshit. I'm just not giving you, you know, the, the, I'm just not phrasing it the way you're, 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 you're used to hearing. Or, or we are getting at it through how we're exploring the 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 physical reality of what we're staging here now you know and also i'm in room 302 thrust with some 19 year olds that i have to figure out where they fit in this big play do you know yes. what i mean and while the cut system was not in effect by that point there was still this really strangely this prevailing anxiety of just being 19 in a conservatory that was as much anxiety as it was if they were, if the stakes were, they right. were going to be cut, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes you know? perfect sense. It was, it, it, it almost said, it, it was almost like, it, that, that was the most interesting thing to me. It was like, it, it, 
getting rid of the cut system didn't seem to relax the psyche at all of these of these kids. It just, you know, I think that was <laughs> cynically probably just because the lawsuits had mounted too far. Right, right, know, right. At that point. So, and I do think that there's something more humane about promising somebody that you're going to take them through yeah. a training institution that they've invested in at at, at a certain yeah. Point. Although there are certainly people in all of those experiences that you that that I looked at in 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 both of my experiences uh, 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 teaching there and some of my uh, both of my experiences directing there and then some of my experiences teaching there because I did teach a lecture class there for a couple of years too but the um the uh, uh, was that you know there, there were <laughs> sadly there were some people that was like yeah, you would have really been benefit you really would have benefited by being cut in your first year because you can't do this. Right. You know right. I mean? right. I'm not going to raise the Titanic here in the four <laughs> weeks we have. Mm-hmm. This is not, this isn't going to happen. You know, so, that's very um, interesting. This whole thing about going back literally to the same school uh, and, and having to do, I mean, I, I, I had forgotten until just this moment that I, so I left college and I moved to California and then I moved back to Chicago um, some seven years later. And I was so excited to be back. I wanted to go, no, I wasn't excited to be back in Chicago. I wanted to go back to movement to music. I mm-hmm. was, I loved movement to music so much. And I knew that John sure. let people, you know, graduates come in. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I see it now that what happened to me was that I hadn't, done any of the processing of my experience so I kind of just went back and then like felt all of the same unresolved things that I had been feeling when I was there and it led to this disgusting like posturing on my part and I was trying to I'm this is all coming back to me I was like trying to do this thing of like I really get you. And, and everybody's like, (laughs) I've literally never laid eyes on you. What the fuck are you talking about? Because yeah. I, oh, I hadn't begun uh, to look at <laughs> this whole segment of my life. True. It's uh, yeah. No, I have. I've, I've, there's. I've a lot of harmonic recognition in what you're saying there. Yes, absolutely. It's. It, it. It is. And it is. It is strange what environments can do to you when you return to them. Ah. You know what I mean? What. What it pulls out of you on like the cellular level, and um, it's. It is weird. And and I, I'm not a superstitious person at all, like in, in, in really much of any way. However, like there were room, like I, I may be getting the room number wrong, but like 302 was a room that, that I had been assigned to several times. It was like every class I had in that room was a class I didn't like. Every rehearsal experience I had in that room was an experience that I thought was not strong. And, uh, and then I was back in this room again, which I knew I hated. And I thought, well, yeah, you know, that was forever ago. And it really did it. But but the room made me feel like I, it was uh, like just something wasn't right. It, I it, have that. Something wasn't yeah. right. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I've had that too. It's so weird. It's so weird. And, and you know, and, and it, it's really tempting to like blame the room and not my behavior. You know what I mean? But it's... Uh, <laughs> But I guess that's how we cope. Well, I have to say, the only other room that was mentioned, or the only other time somebody mentioned a room number was mm-hmm. Tate, and he did say room 302. Yeah. So there is something about really? it. And I remember that it is. my it's, probably... It's the room 237 of the theater yep. school. That's Wait, what's 237? Uh, from The Shining. Oh, uh, oh right. Got it, got it. Uh, I, my worst acting experience was also in that room, now that I'm thinking of it. That's very funny. <laughs> what was that? 
Orgasmo Adulto escapes from the zoo. I remember. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, I yes. think I remember that. Girl, wait, were you girl. the lead in that? And you were the. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. ma'am. It was oh, yeah. horrible. You were Orgasmo Adulto? <laughs> I was the woman who, whatever, leaning out my window talking for hours. <laughs> I felt like it was the ring cycle. I felt I was there for eight yeah. hours <laughs> at a time. It was. It was horrible, horrible, horrible. Doing the ring cycle in room three hundred two. That's that my good. name of my I new solo. I wish show. that had been my thesis. That's my new solo yeah. show is going to be called the ring cycle. Ring cycle in room three hundred two. But wait, oh, wait, did you have that? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, did you ever have that, like, returning to the theater school and feeling like you were so, your younger self? <laughs> I so I teach BFA fours, but only since last year, and it's all online. And so it's a different, it's something about the building. I'm telling you right now, I had to go to the building for a meeting, right? The new building. I'm not, I've never been in the the new building. And I immediately felt like, oh my God, who are the cool people? Where are the pretty ones? Where are the ugly ones? (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. This is horrible, horrible, horrible. So I feel the same thing. And if I was in the, I am so grateful that I'm teaching online because because it's a different, it's a totally different thing than being in, yeah. and you can't yeah. even. There's no scene. Right. There's no scene. And there's also no way of like har- doing the harm you can do when you're in a room with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, you know? but you, but it's much diminished. Diminished, right. It's diminished. You can't, the energy can't be misconstrued in that specific way of like a physical weirdness, yes. you know, or like. Yes, 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 yes. yes. She's. You, or the proximity, or just like he's breathing yes, too loud, or like, too near. Or like, you know, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just the weirdness. My weirdness gets kind of like there's a filter, so that's good. So anyway, yeah, but yeah. I, I remember yeah. going back after I had booked a TV show, and right after, and feelings. What I wanted was every teacher to come out and say, "We're so sorry, we didn't yeah, treat you better." Yeah. Right. <laughs> We're so sorry that we didn't cast you as the lead in every, and none of that happened. It was like, maybe John Bridges was like, yeah, you have too much makeup on. See you later. And I was like, oh God. So, so it never, they never give you what you really want. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I would say that that's unique to the theater school at DePaul per se, but it's a, but it's a, it's done in a very incubated, concentrated way where you feel it in a really kind of a, acute fashion. For yeah. Sure. So, so, yes. Okay. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Beans. You got cut from the acting program. And did they did yeah. they suggest, I mean, I knew you, you say you already knew you wanted to be a director. So was that just the natural thing or did they offer it to you? How does that work? Yeah, I was in the same letter that they cut me in a subordinate paragraph, they said, but you can continue on as an MFA director. However, the stipulation was that I had to join the existing class because there were only three directors for any given year at that time. I don't know if it's different now, but um, and the class below me was full. They had three directors for that. And the class that I was in, the class of 99, had two directors, but the like right before school had started that year the third one had dropped out so there was a vacancy in that class so the deal was that i had to finish the curriculum with those two 
uh, but I had to do the three years of the directing program in my remaining two years. However, a couple of the core classes, like maybe one or two of them, were things that I had taken as the actor already. So there was a, a bit of a hybridization there. But the, the it wasn't like you can take your time and finish this whenever you want. They're like, you got you, you to gotta go with these guys. Although, weirdly, I was the only person in that class to actually walk <laughs> at the graduation ceremony. Why? Because I was the only person who finished my thesis. Oh, wow. Paper, wow. anyway. Yeah. Wow. So what happened when you graduated? What did you do next? Uh, I... Uh... Uh, I mean, you know, I tried to survive. Nobody, nobody wants a 24 year old kid with a theater, uh, like an MFA in directing, like not even in the theater. Nobody, nobody's interested in you. You know what I mean? And I knew that I, I was, I, I was steeled for that. I didn't have real illusions about that. And, you know, it, it, and like rewinding even the decision about like, am I going to go into this directing program after being cut from this thing was, was, was one I had to make because part of me was just like thinking like, you know what? I mean, in this past year, it's not that I didn't learn anything from the acting program at the theater school. I, 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 I did. I would be lying if I said that I, I didn't. Um, but I, I learned more about what I really wanted to do while I was washing dishes at Second City. Do you know? Um, so I was just like, do I just go that path? Because that was the thing that seemed to make the most sense to me in this past fiscal year, you know? And and so uh, how do I approach this? And then ultimately, there was some scholarship money involved with the offer of the the, the directing program. And, um, and I was just like already like, well, I put the year in. I know the people. I, my friends are good actors, and I want to work with them in a certain capacity. And I think I have, I've been watching plays in that goddamn building for a year too. And, and, you know, and I have the sense of like, you know what, I, th th this might be nifty. Do you know what I mean? Or like, this is a workaround for this, or this is a way to address the fact that we're in a classroom, you know, uh, uh, watching a play that doesn't belong in here. You know what I mean? Like, so it was, uh, so those challenges became interesting to me. Um, and Jim Alselhoff, who was my acting teacher in that first year and the head of the directing program, too, I had a rapport with him in, in some way. And he and I talked on several occasions throughout that first year where he would ask, do you think you're more of a director? And I was like, well, yes, absolutely I am. And he's like, well, why are you in the acting program? And I was just like, because I can't get into your program as a director. What the hell? You know what I mean? And he was just like, well, yeah, I don't read all of that stuff. I was like, well, you're telling me that now, you know? And it was... Uh, so it was, uh, uh, so that was a bit of a, a strange conversation, but I thought, you know, I had my egg, a lot of my eggs were already in that basket. So it was like, yeah, let's, let's see this through because I don't really have any other prospects. If I go the second city route, it's not like I'm returning to anything that like, you know, I would have to start a ground, you know, ground level, go through all of that training, not only do second city, I'd have to do EIO, I'd have to do annoyance because everybody who was on the stage there had been studying improv for 10 years with Mick Napier, with Del Close, with all, you know, all of those kind of heavyweights, really. And, and you're, you got to get inside of that scene, you know what I mean? So it really was about, like, do I trade one scene for another, you know? And, um, and I had made some really good friends at theater school by that point. Um, although I was not close with my classmates until really the last couple of months of, 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 uh, of that of that first year uh, you know uh because i had been 
yeah, I don't know. I, I, I tried to work as much as I could, even just, you know, at Second City, because I wanted to make money for the time that you were in the casting pool and you couldn't work anymore. And then you were, uh, uh, and it was just like that, that was my social life at that time. The people, the, the, the people I worked with there and the people I looked up to there, that was like, yeah, I want to be around. I, I, I'll go to work tonight so I can watch uh, Rachel Dratch and Tina Fey do their little, uh, do their, uh, 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 you know, they were honing those, those, those Boston characters. That oh, they yeah. did, you know, mm-hmm. they, you are people, yeah. you know, it was like watching them give birth to that. So that was really exciting, you know, yeah. and you had a sense there working there that at that time that it was like, this is like a gold, like the, the people on these stages right now are going to be this next generation of, of, of comic sensibility in the United States. And they totally were, you know what I mean? That was no surprise to me when they became kind of the, you know, the, 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 the the great voices of, of of our time you know great is relative i suppose but like you know mm-hmm. the most powerful right. comic voices so. mm-hmm. do they have uh so i guess we've had two other directors on here but i can't remember if we've asked them buzz tell me if i'm wrong they don't have some equivalent of the showcase for directors some way that they're kind of well your your thesis production was supposed to be that oh. because um uh, and uh, so that was it. But nobody came to see it, so it didn't matter. Oh my god! <laughs> right? Like, uh, I mean, how 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 is that comparable? There, did they did not, they invite anybody to all. come see it? Or? Well, you know, th- th- this was an education actually. Uh, when I listened to I listened to your interview with Allison Zell, who mentioned that Jim Osselhoff fought to get the thesis productions off campus and like into the Victory Gardens Theater and. The year that I did it, we were at the Athenaeum Theater. So him having to, so him taking it off campus and at least creating the potential for somebody to see it in a true theater space in Chicago, uh, I didn't realize he had fought for that. And so that was a bigger deal. And, and so that that actually, uh, he was, my 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 assessment of him was that he was pr- kind of checked out when I, when I got there. And Years later, you know, amounts to the like was really he was much more checked out than I thought. But I was pleased to learn that the year prior to me coming there, he at least fought for something like what that. What was your thesis um, project, but I Jimmy? Do, I, but, uh, <laughs> an unmitigated disaster. Uh, no, it was it was called uh, Slaughter City. It was a play by Naomi Wallace, um, and uh, it was uh, it. Uh, and it, it was, you know, I did everything very poorly and very wrong in it. And it was, uh, 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 so it was, it was really hard. My context though, my dad got sick in the beginning of 1998 and died in November 98. And then the thesis, I started my rehearsals for my thesis on like January 2nd, do you know? And it was, it was pretty much a lost cause. Although like I was fighting through it. I was getting up every day and and doing it and and but like in this very sluggish way and uh, the the day I got back to Chicago in 99 the there was this blizzard that was like really honest to god like 4 feet of snow and it didn't melt the entire winter do you know so it was it was just it was as harsh as you could possibly think do you know what i mean just the whole experience of those months the rehearsal period leading up to, to to that production were just physical conditions were hard, and I was 
I, I, I can't, I don't even know if I would say this biggest mess that, that I've ever been in my life because I was, it, it was, you know, look, I was a 23, 24 year old kid and I had not dealt with my dad's illness nor his death at all. And, and, you know, and so I was carrying a lot of unprocessed stuff and that obviously, you know, uh, brought itself out in, in self-flagellation and anger and, um, and I had an actor in that production that was going through something herself. And it got to a point where I was just like, your grief is nowhere near as exquisite as mine. And I am going to take this out on you right now because I don't believe what you're suffering could be possibly any different than I am. And I'm coming prepared and I keep showing up and I know what I'm doing, you know, and it, and it was, and I knew better than to, you know, do grief comparisons or suffering comparisons or anything like that. But I chose in my righteous anger to like, you know, to say, I'm going to make, and now I'm creating a toxic relationship with somebody that I need to deliver for me, you know? And it was, it was really shitty. And, and, and the product manifested itself exactly how you would think, because that's what it looked like, you know? And it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a rough time. And, you know, and I had classmates that said to me, it was like, dude, take a year off. Do you know what I mean? Or, 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 ask if you could do your thesis in the spring instead, because you're not going to be able to do this. And I was, and, and, and that was just, you know, that, that cemented in me. He was like, no, I fucking got to do this. You know, my dad will roll over in his grave if I didn't do this. You know, that was, that, those were the justifications, but I was just in no shape to, to see the biggest project that I had in my career at, at as a student there, uh, I was in no shape to see that through and, 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 you know, and it, yeah, it suffered greatly. It was, it was, it was, you know, it was, I mean, it had a face, there were good moments, there were really strong performances in it, despite a lot of the stuff that I was very unhelpful with. Um, but uh, yeah, but it was, you know, it was a mess. And, and I, one of the only reasons, the reason that I would, that I probably finished writing the thesis paper and was the only one in my class to do because I was just like, I have to exercise this, you know what I mean? Exorcise this, you know? Um, and so, yeah. Wow. So yeah. But luckily I did one last production, you know, in a movement room there um, that I thought was my strongest work there. So that it, it, it did feel like it ended on something that was, uh, hopeful you know but that was a very dark winter and you know in in my life in that year and in the experience of being an artist and in in my kind of pursuit of that degree wow did you did you but you you obviously directed after that so you graduated and you tried you said nobody wanted to- I, I did but i didn't i didn't direct anything for probably nearly three years after that i i had to you know, and, and this was the other thing too. Like I, the only re the only way I kind of got back into theater was both through, uh, acting and scenic design because people always needed a dude in their play. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll play a small role in this. And it was, you know, just the storefront theater companies or, and one in particular called the side project that I did a lot of work with for a long time, um, where, you know, you you go in as an actor and you just start to develop a relationship with the artistic director and you say, look, listen, this is what I really do, you know? And uh, actually I found the scenic design uh, elements a kind of uh, uh, 
a stronger way into directing because you're yes. you're you're kind of creating the reality of the you're creating the world of the yeah. piece. Do you know what I mean? So people would see your mind working much more in that way than they would mm-hmm. you showing up to play a bit role in something, you know. Um so yeah, but I wasn't a trained scenic designer, I couldn't draft anything. I just had ideas of like I you know, and I wasn't a carpenter either, but I was like, hey, I could build this, I could assemble this. And that's our concept. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's very spare. It's very open, yes. very deconstructed. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but that's what they could afford anyway. Right. So it didn't yeah, really exactly. matter. You know? So we obviously talk, talk about the things that actually help people to survive their theater school experience and you having to grapple with a, a major loss it sounds like the way that you you kind of did the you kind of did the white knuckling your way through it version of survival. Um, Very much. But but is there anything else you can point to as something that helped you survive? I was gonna think it was your peers, but you said you had kind of not really connected with all of them necessarily until the last couple. Of months. No, that that was in the first year. By the time I was in my third year, okay, I okay, had, you know, uh, I, I mean, you know. Uh, absolutely, uh, you know. I mean, you know, really, 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 very close friends. Of, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Shana Firm is one of my best friends in the world, and she, she was very, uh, 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 you know, she didn't literally hold my hand through like that experience, mm-hmm. but uh, I knew I could always count on her. And Jason Denizek and Chris Schultz, Kelly Holden, uh, Kelly Ogden. Uh, uh, th- those were, you know, those were the people in my life for yeah. sure. And, and, uh, uh, so yeah, they were, they were, they were great. I did. Yeah. I, the, no, by the time I was in my third year, I was completely in the incubator of the theater school. That was, you know, that was, that was, but it was a weird experience because most of, you know, to have friends, my core group of friends were mostly undergrad actors, mm-hmm. even though I was friends with the guys in the MFA, uh, class two, um, but, but I lived with undergrad uh, uh, folks when I first moved there too. So you know that 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 was, uh, and they were all and the the undergrad. We we lived in a, an apartment that was apart from Tom Lemaire's coach house thing that he lived oh, in. Yeah, yeah. Was the closest apartment and the biggest closest apartment to the campus. So between classes, no matter what, everybody who was a in the class of ninety nine was in our house all of the time everybody so it was uh uh so it really was just it was like a stopgap is where you went between classes you know what i mean and it was uh so you were never alone mm-hmm. ever in that house uh you know <laughs> exponentially an exponent of your roommates i guess i should right. say right so um that was and even when i had moved out of that house i was there more often than i was at the apartment you know the studio for a minute i lived mm-hmm. in so uh yeah no it, uh, uh uh yeah my my uh, yeah my 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 friends and the people i trusted were the only thing that got me through it although i did elect to spend a lot of that time alone too because it was uh you know it was it was just everything felt as messy as it as it possibly could, and mm-hmm. you know, to a certain extent, you were like, "I want to spare everyone else this, this just you know, anger and frustration." And and it wasn't even like I would wake up crying or anything like that. It wasn't. Uh... And another thing that helped, and this is a very weird thing, uh, but I do remember it. Uh, there was uh, uh, an 
album with one track on it that I would listen to every morning. Cause every morning I woke up and I was just like, I, I, I'd rather be dead. And, uh, and, but I'd play this one song and it would, uh, uh, inexplicable reasons would, would, would be the thing that would say, okay, soldier on again today. <laughs> so that was that. Well, what <laughs> that was, was, song, well, what was the song? It's a very, very, very obscure thing, uh, by, uh, 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 the the moniker that he went under this was called Barry Black, but he's no uh, he's a songwriter called Eric Bachman. He he wrote for Ar- he was the frontman for Archers of Loaf and Crooked Fingers uh, was his kind of solo project after that. But he's also done uh, albums under Eric Bachman. But he this one was called Barry Black was a side project of his when he was in Archers of Loaf. Uh, it was a song called Golden Throat, wow. and for the lyric content doesn't have anything to do with. <laughs> Mm-hmm. that time or anything but it was just something about the tenor of his voice the march of the song and it was a one of those songs on an album that lead, led into another song that was just this kind of like punk fight song but with horns uh so it was like listening to those two songs and it was in the middle of the album so i just had to go to those two tracks so i'd listen to that song and then it would bleed into the other thing and the other thing was the thing that just made me feel like i could you know that, that like physically got me to my feet. So I love was... that. I love that. We, I, I lived in an apartment in Chicago where my next door neighbor played the song. I will always love you every day, all, all day, yes. all the time yeah, yeah. for months. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Presumably she was working through a breakup and yeah. I, or her bodyguard had just been, could murdered. have been, could have been, she could have been deep into it with Kevin Costner, but, uh, I love that song and I really appreciated <laughs> that she was going through something. Yes. But yes. it is something about, yeah, that I, I, I totally know what you're talking about. I can't think of a song I've done that with, but I know I've done that and it's the repetition and it becomes like the way that you sort of prep yourself for yeah. facing your next emotional journey. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've never had anything quite like that since or anything like that, but, but that's, that's kind of why it particularly sticks out in my mind because it, it was, it became the ritual. It became like, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, this is, this was, this was, I, I have a question. I, I don't know what the alchemy is there, but it's, it's, it, it is. My question somehow. is, are you going to direct again? Probably not. No. <laughs> oh, really? Why not? No, no. Uh, I, I haven't done anything for a very long time, actually. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I haven't really. Yeah, no, I, I, it's it. it... <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 over. Let's just say it's it. over. <laughs> you you know. don't want to do it anymore. Uh, I don't know what is on the other side of this, frankly. You know what I mean? And I also know for very good reasons the professional landscape is going to change, you know, and I don't solve anybody's PR problems in that respect. So uh, the, and I've been very, I I mean, I'm, I'm five years out of having directed anything professionally. Um, And uh, I've, um, so no, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the medium is going to be. Uh, and, and I'm not sour grapesing that at all. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, uh, uh, and I don't, uh, and, and 
you know, I don't live in the city anymore, actually. I live about an hour outside of the city. So, you know, it's, it, I, I'm not part of like the, the, the geographic community really anymore. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel pretty outmoded as an artist, quite, quite, quite frankly, and, and as a theater artist. Anyway. That may be, but like you, <laughs> one thing I've learned in these last five years is y you can ignore it for a time and pretty soon it's going to come knocking on your door. So how are you going to get your artistic needs met if you're not directing? Uh, I, I think I'd have to, I'm really lazy about it, but I think if, if, if I'm doing anything, it's going to be about <coughs> uh, just kind of re-entering short film Mm -hmm. and and making that and and that's and like there's no career path in that for me either it's just that that's that's where i think i'd have to do it and i like making film a lot i haven't done very much of it but um but i like it and i think i have a, a knack for that vocabulary so maybe you'll um, direct our uh gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna film the teaser <clears throat> of our uh pilot so maybe you'll be our director that's oh, so i mean here's the thing I still talk about Jimmy McDermott as my favorite theater director, and people are like, they, they remember you. Who's that? No, <laughs> they remember you. I'm like, you guys, Jimmy uh, McDermott, my favorite that's, theater that's director. Scary. And people are like, what yeah, happened I mean, to I, that guy? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm telling <laughs> exactly, you right now, exactly. he's a brilliant. He's asking himself the same question. Um, the uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, uh, I... I was the associate artistic director of an equity theater for a couple of years too. And, and, you know, so I was, I lived that life, you know, to a certain extent. Um, and it, it, it was still really, really hard to get war. It, you know, it's the balance of like, if you commit yourself to an institution, you're not available to freelance in the way that you build the resume. That's really exciting to people. Um, and then when you get out and freelance, you're hustling constantly for work. And then I had a very small child, which was one of the reasons I stopped working in an institution, because it was like these 16 hour days on the regular are not going to jibe with bath time. You know what I mean? So it's like the uh, and I wanted to be a part of of of, of this kid's life for sure. And um, the uh, so uh, I, I found I found parenting and trying to direct for theater and the model that we participate in to be really uh, incongruent. And um, although I did it for a while, for sure, uh, but it really was, it was about just chasing everything down. And the only things that were kind of worth pursuing after a while were gigs in, in, in academic institutions because they, they, they paid not particularly well, but they, you know, you, you could at least look at your time and say, oh, I'm, I'm making more than $3 an hour. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. And uh, so it, it did really become a matter of just like, look at the fucking spreadsheet. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And, and, and th this is not yielding dividends. And <clears throat> the thing about a, a Chicago theater career, and I've heard this said before, is that like, you have to arrive about six or seven times before you arrive and even when you've arrived you're still hustling just on a different level you know and i had arrived maybe five of those seven times and i was mm -hmm. 
tapped out because it really, it did get to a point where it was, you know, and I, 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 I would never throw this at my wife's feet, but, you know, you have a partner at home that's like wondering, when is this going to pay off? Do you know what I mean? And I didn't have a clear answer for her. And it was deeply unfair for me to try to carry her along in that narrative. And uh, so, yeah, I had to start really opening myself up to other realities. And, and, and you know, I'm saying this like, oh, yeah, one day I thought this, this was a painful, right, ex- right, right. you know, excruciating, years-long extractive process, you know. And, um, yeah, and I, like, I still don't feel great about it necessarily. But, you know, I, 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 I like my life a lot. I am very glad that whatever career pursuits I made didn't jeopardize my family unit. Mm-hmm ultimately. And, um, so I'll take that, you know what I mean? And, and, and that's, that's, that's about it. <clears throat> and I've, I have had an opportunity in the past couple of years to direct some things like at a community type level that were not plays, but like performance issues, more or less kind of, uh, almost like, you know, like staged concerts and things like mm-hmm. that. And they've been fun and really fulfilling on their level. And, 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 you know, one of the actors I worked on with that is like one of the greatest actors I've ever worked with in my life. And he's a lawyer, you know what I mean? Like, and it was just like, but he was like, you are so damn good. I can't like no notes, man. That's great. It's uh, the, uh, uh, but even when you are equipped with everything you need to make a production happen, it's still the hardest thing in the world. And to electively say, I'm going to do it on a level that's not equipped, where everything needs a certain a, a degree of rehabilitation in order to, like, hit the stage, uh, it just, I, I'm just not up for that amount of work and yeah. inevitable disappointment. Understood, understood. And I know we have to end soon, but Boz, I, can you just tell people about your experience with Jimmy since I don't think my you've told that story on here? My experience is this, that it was a subtle interplay between, yes, well, I happen to love people that refuse to join things. I think that they are, because <laughs> because I wish I could. I, th- I think that's, that, that's what connected me with you too. That, that, that and your, and your, uh, and your, uh, the first conversation you and I had was about. Pornography? Uh, the, 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 yeah, the scene from a porno right. movie. So, seen so, so I, I just think that there was a way that, a quiet way that you have of getting actors to be in the moment that is not abusive and not in your face. And yet you still get the, get there. And your, the way your mind works is a very meticulous without being precious. That's what I'll say. Mm -hmm. And I so appreciate that. Thank you. That's really great to hear. I, I, you know, that's, that's interesting. Uh, I, 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 because I mean, I, 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 I think people interpret, uh, I mean, I know, I don't know about abuse as, as the term necessarily, but, uh, people interpret, you know, people draw different boundaries. Let's just simply say that. Um, the, 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 the unfortunate experience I had working at the theater school was such that, I think I always knew this because I had an experience in undergrad where I saw this go a little sideways a couple of times where 
the instructor was trying to get someone out of something by asking them to use an experience from their own lives, you know? And it was just like, always, well, you know, you got tears out of this person, but is does that thing that you just made them do have legs in a production? Do you know what I mean? Is this repeatable? Is this just re-traumatizing someone? Do you know what I mean? And I found like, I never wanted to work that way because I, it was none of my business. I'm not a licensed anything. And, you know, I, and I don't want to have a situation on my hands that I can't, that I wish I didn't like open that, right. th- that genie. Right. And I know? think, yeah. And, but the, uh, but so something that I, that I have used in the past, and I don't think I was using this when I was in a, a student at the theater school so much, but something that I kind of continued to use afterwards was that, you know, I don't want you, I don't want to ask you about your experience. This isn't a therapy session, but if we're not getting somewhere in a scene, uh, I'll say, look, something analogous to this scene happened to me. And it's a very unattractive thing that I did and said in a way that I behaved and a set of circumstances or an ultimatum that I gave somebody. And it was that dire, you know? And it's one of the most shameful experiences of my life, but that's what happened. And that's what this scene is. And if you're doing anything less than that, we don't have the motor of this thing, you know? Um, and that was very unappreciated by the theater school students. That yeah, I, I can see that. Experience. I can see that. And and they they thought that he shouldn't be exercise, you know, he shouldn't be, th- you know, using this as a therapy session. And I think that's right. But at the same time, I was like, something well, you gotta have something you know what? and what you're not telling in the part of the story is that as soon as i shared that the scene was great you actually delivered right, Do you know what i mean right so I, I so even when you're trying to avoid an abusive situation or th- you're drawing a boundary or respecting a boundary or it, it can be interpreted as an infringement and and uh, and you just have to be really careful with that. And that's another reason why I think like e- even after that, I, I thought even after that directing experience, I always felt like I, I walked away with that. And the thing that I learned from the, the, the litany of mistakes I made on that was also like, I think I also had to su- surrender something that was really vital too, you know, which kind of plays into like, why pursue this if, you know, if, if we're, and particularly if, you know, we're, we're, if when theater reestablishes itself, there's going to be, given the last several years, do you know, I, there, there's going to be so many things in place and so many things that people are watching for. Do you know what I mean? That like when, <clears throat> I mean, I think a theater, any experience, any collective artistic experience should have a sense of safety and trust among the people. But we all pursued this in some way because there was something dangerous about it too. Yes, right. Right. Absolutely. And, and I don't know how to reconcile those two things. And it's part of the reason that I feel like when I say outmoded, I was like, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to go back into it. Do you know, yeah, other than just trying to tell the story as, as, as clearly as you can. Uh, I, I, so to a certain extent, I have this kind of relief that like, I feel like I don't have to go back and try to navigate mm-hmm. that because I feel like I would, I, I would, I would uh, fail a lot. Yeah. Well, look for our phone call in 2022 when we're making the pilot of Kiki and we need your yeah. expert opinion. <laughs> well, I love If you liked what you heard today, 
please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.